We are on the cusp of a major social change. Do you feel it? Even if you don't, make no mistake, change is coming, and it is going to be unforgettable. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Hart, and here on Prime Spark, where we work with and on behalf of women over 55, I want to help you find that spark that will ignite your way forward, reflect your gifts to the world, and illuminate your path through this next stage of life. Through these podcast conversations, I hope to inspire you to see how you can make a significant contribution to some of the gnarly problems that are facing us right now. Join me, and together, let's discover our Prime Spark. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Sam Horn, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Sam Horn is the founder CEO of the Intrigue Agency. Her three TEDx talks and 10 books, including Pop Ten Tung Fu, Someday is Not a Day in the Week, and Talking on Eggshells, have been taught to hundreds of organizations, including Intel, Accenture, and Oracle. Her newest book, Talking on Eggshells, received a cover endorsement from Whole Foods founder John Mackey, who called it the course correct for today's cancel culture. Sam's work has been featured in dozens of publications, including the New York Times, Forbes, Reader's Digest, Inc., Harvard Business Review, Ascend, Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, and she has been interviewed on every major network, including NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, NPR, and MSNBC. Welcome, Sam. I'm so happy you're here with us today. Thanks so much, Sarah. I've really been uh, looking forward to sharing some stories and insights with your listeners. Good. Let's do it. One of the things I'm really curious about, Sam, is what did John Mackey mean by the, your new book, Talking on Eggshells, is the course correct for today's cancel culture? What, is that, what did he mean by that? You know, Sarah, I think we've all had the unfortunate incident of uh, not talking with someone who has a completely different political view or having someone tell us that we were wrong and cut us off or have our voice taken away at work if uh, someone didn't agree with what we had to say or contribute. So in a cancel culture where people are quick to judge, quick to dismiss, Uh, This book actually shows us how to think on our feet and handle challenging situations in the moment instead of thinking of the perfect response on the way home. Right. Okay. 
I got it. That is not how I interpreted it. And so now I understand. Thank you. Well, it's a wonderful uh, book. Um, I love the book. Everybody, you need to get the book. Um, how would you describe, Sam, that it is different from the other books you've written? Oh, great question, Sarah. It's that, um, well, with all my books, I really try and be practical. So this is not neck up theory. These are real life examples. What do we say when someone's complaining? What do we say when someone accuses us of something that's not true? What do we say when people are blaming each other for what went wrong? So hopefully they're all very practical with specific situations and what to say in those situations. I think how it's different is that as John pointed out in his review, you know, things are getting worse, not better. It is that um, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of snark. There's a lot of uh, dismissing. And in an E.E. E. Cummings world, he said to be yourself in a world that's trying all day, every day to turn you into someone else is the hardest battle you'll ever fight and keep fighting. And I think what's different about this book is I introduce something called proactive grace. And it is how we can show up and be a good person even when other people aren't. Oh, I love that. Because one of the things I was having a discussion with the other day, somebody I said, do you think there's ever a time when you're talking to somebody and they are going on and on about things that you really deeply disagree with and you've tried to talk about it and they're just going on? Is there ever a time you would say, I think you're wrong? And uh, we talked about that, you know, because I have spent my, as you have, I have spent my entire professional career working with communication. And so I hate it that I think at this point, there may be some times like that. What is your response to that? You know, we both believe in telling stories using real life examples. So I have been uh, years, 25 years, uh, a friend with someone who's very well known in the speaking industry. She's kind of an icon. We had monthly calls. And I was shocked uh, a few years ago when she said in the middle of our call that she felt a certain president was the best president we've ever had. And uh, I thought just the opposite. And I could not believe that someone that I respect and know for 20 years could have such a polar opposite view. And at the end of the phone conversation, I didn't know if we'd ever going to talk again. And I really had a crisis of conscience because I thought, we, I respect this woman and I admire her. And are we going to throw away a 25-year friendship over this, this difference of opinion? And I was very fortunate because I grew up in Southern California and we would ride our horses and there was quicksand out there. Now, this is a metaphor waiting to happen, Sarah, because if you know quicksand, it's easy to get into. It's very hard to get out of and it sucks you in. Well, now, did my parents uh, forbid us from riding our horses? No, they just told us to steer clear of the quicksand. <laughs> so my friend and I decided that she was not going to change my mind and I was not going to change her mind. This was going to be a quicksand conversation and we were going to focus on what we had in common 
than instead of what we had in conflict. Oh, that's fascinating. I have some people very, very close to me also, and they we are 180 degrees on political, social, every issue that is basically important. <laughs> We're totally opposite. And so sort of, I think unstated, we've agreed not to talk about it. See, Sarah, and I don't think that this is a failure. This is not a retreat. This is not conflict avoidance. This is not being conflict averse. I think that, you know, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was being interviewed on CBS Sunday morning, and the reporter was just incredulous. She said, you go out to see the opera with Judge Scalia. Now you are on different sides of the, the political spectrum here. How can you be friends with someone like that? She said six words. They're so insightful. Do you know what she said? No. We are different. We are one. And as you said, you've had friends for a long time and you're diametrically posed on these issues. So are we going to throw away those friendships, those histories, those memories, etc.? Or are we going to steer clear of those things where it's, it is to no good purpose for us to talk about it because we're not changing their mind. They're not changing ours. So there's thousands of other things that we can talk about and maintain the friendship. You think there's any difference between having conversations with people, um, like those kinds of conversations, when we are friends and when we're not friends? It's not that we're enemies. We just don't know each other. It, there's a, it's a very good point. And now, by the way, that is one option. It is There are many other scenarios in the book. And I'll give you a quick example where, where we don't let someone something go. It's say if somebody accuses us of something that's not true or somebody says something we don't agree with. Uh, I think, you know, I like to juxtapose things. If we had a vertical piece of paper, put a vertical line down the center, words to lose or on the left, words to use or on the right. Well, over on the left, don't deny it because I'm speaking at a women's leadership conference and a woman puts her hand up in Q&A. She says, Sam, why are women so catty to each other? Well, Sarah, I knew that if I said, I don't think women are, we would have been arguing about whether women are catty. So instead, Don Draper of Mad Men said, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. So we do not deny a negative accusation because we actually end up arguing and perhaps proving their point. Instead, we say, you know what I found? I think women are really champions of each other. I wouldn't have this job. So see, we go on record for what we do believe instead of arguing with something we don't believe. And there's another way we can do this. Four words. What do you mean? If someone says, you don't care about your customers, we do too care about our customers. Now we're arguing with our customers about whether we care about our customers. Say, what do you mean? Oh, well, I've left three messages and no one's called back. Ah, oh, the real issue. Now we can address that instead of reacting to the attack. I love that. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. And you explain to me why you feel that way. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, what I, one of the things in your in this wonderful book, Sam, that I got curious about was it has to do with the person with the brand new boat. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody wants to borrow it. Mm-hmm. And and what not to say was, well, okay, you better not bring it back dirty and with an empty tank. 
words to say is, Tony, my insurance doesn't cover other people using the boat. Mm-hmm. So pretend that second thing is not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would be words to 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 use that are that are that are true if that happens not to be true? So let's talk about this scenario about someone's asking for a favor or someone's asking us to do something and we're not comfortable with it or we don't want to do it, et cetera. How can we say no um, proactively and diplomatically, correct? Is that number one is that this, I believe the success of any relationship depends on whether the scale of needs is kept in balance. So remember the old lady, oh, the, the lady of justice, right? And she has a plate over here and a plate. Now, see, if we are always giving the other person what they want, always going along with what they think, always, uh, that's an inequitable relationship, right? That's that's not sustainable. And furthermore, the person who's always going along to get along, always saying yes, always thinking of the other person, they're harboring some resent- resentment. So at that point, I don't think it's rude to interrupt. I think it's right. And I think that we have the right to say no when we feel a request is inappropriate or we simply do not want to do it. So then I believe in truth telling, which is, (laughs) you know, Bob, I understand you'd like to borrow the boat while your family's in town and I'm not comfortable uh, loading out my boat. And that's the end of story. And we really don't have to explain it or justify it. It's our boat. And if someone is asking, we acknowledge, I understand your family's coming in from out of town. You were looking forward to going out on the lake. And I'm not comfortable loaning out my boat. And here's the name of a rental place if you'd like to take your family out on the lake. Oh, that's good. I like that. Because I was thinking about the number of times when somebody wants us to do something And our response is, oh, I can't do that that night, which isn't true. The truth is we don't want to. Yeah. Um, And I know people would say, well, it's better to say I can't do that because otherwise you just hurt the person's feelings. I think, well, but if we really want to tell the truth. So what would you do with that, Sam? Hey, let's go out for dinner tomorrow night. And I don't want to. What are my options? Sarah, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because this is talking on eggshells is tiptoeing around people and it's tiptoeing around the truth. It is feeling that if we tell the truth, we're going to lose a friend, right? Actually, that sets up where people never know if we mean what we say. They never, they have to read between the lines and second guess it because they never know if we're just being nice, but inside we're simmering or seething, right? And my sons have really taught me this. Do we have time for a quick story about this? Absolutely. I love stories are my favorite thing in the whole world next to chocolate. Well, there you go. Boom. (laughs) And now if we can tell stories and have some chocolate, we're good. Right, Sarah? (laughs) Okay. So um, I'm um, speaking in New York and my son lived in New York. So I had just a few hours for us to get to dinner before I needed to hop on a train and go back down to Washington, D.C. So Andrew knew that I was eating healthy at that time, so he made reservations at New York's finest vegan restaurant. Well, now I got there and he texted me, Mom, I'm running late, order something. 
Well, Sarah, I look at the menu and it's tofu this, broccoli this, broths that. I didn't see a single thing that I wanted to eat. And I finally saw some linguine. I thought I can get that down. So Andrew shows up on his skateboard and we're sitting there. And just as he sits down, they bring this big piling, pile, steaming pile of linguine. And Andrew looks at it and he looks at me and he looks at it and he says, Mom, I thought you weren't eating pasta. I said, I'm not. He looks at me and he said, then why did you order the pasta? And what did I do, Sarah? Oh, it's not a big deal. You know, we only have an hour before I have to get on the... And he said, Mom, he said, do you know what a mixed message that sends when you say you're not eating pasta and then you do? Now, Sarah, what I was doing in my mind, I was thinking as many women in particular, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to have it because it's more important that we have this time. He made this reservation at this great restaurant. I don't want no, 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 no. And he said, Mom, what do you want? And I said, a steak. <laughs> he said, I think we can do that. And, and he asked the waiter to packages up. There was a Whole Foods a block away. I went and got some steak. We sat out in a little park, full moon. And Sarah, it is such, when we tell people what we want or don't want, it is not mean, it's clean. Yep, I, I agree with that. And it is such a relearning, particularly mm -hmm. for women. I think it is for everybody, but particularly for women. Because have you, by any chance, have you seen Barbie yet? Not yet. Tell me, have you seen it? What did yes. you think? I saw it Saturday night. A group of my friends were going out and they said, that's what, and I said, oh, you guys, come on, Barbie? You've got to be kidding me. But they were going out to dinner afterwards and I wanted to go with them. So I decided I would go to the movie. Yeah, It's good. It's a really good movie. And there is a monologue by America. I don't know how you say her last name. Fer Fury? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is worth the price of the ticket. Wow. It is, it is amazing. So I am encouraging every woman I know to get together some women friends, go to see the movie, go out to dinner afterwards because you want to talk about it. And so... I could have gotten into a real tussle about, I don't want to see Barbie. Oppenheimer's open at the same time. But they all wanted to put on pink and go. And I thought, oh, I can, I don't even have pink, but I can, I can go. It was a wonderful evening. And that monologue deals directly with the difficulty women have in telling the truth. And and see, it it comes from social conditioning, correct? Is that it's like, especially as mothers, it's like we put our family first, you know? It's like, no, you have the last piece of pie. No, I'll be glad to stay up all night. You're sick. I'll take care of you. So giving, caretaking, putting other people first is part of our definition of being a good person. And at what cost? And uh, the book Someday is Not a Day in the Week and this book Talking on Eggshells 
hopefully, like that movie does, brings us face to face with the law of unintended consequences. Is that if we put everyone else first, what we're teaching the people around us is that we don't matter. What we're modeling for our sons is that this this is what women are just here to serve. What we're modeling for our daughters is sacrifice yourself. You don't matter, everyone around you. And what we accept we teach, is that really the message we want to be teaching? I love that. I've gotten so concerned about, I think we have made such a difficult world for our young people to grow up in. Mm. Um, And we're modeling whatever it is. And they will either follow or they'll go the opposite. But they won't figure out their own path, you know, and that really concerns me. So is go ahead. Just, you know, Mother Teresa said the world is full of good people. If you can't find one, be one. And what we're talking about, Sarah, is we can be a good person and we can be clear about what we want, about what we don't want. And once again, it is not being mean and it is not being selfish. It is understanding that if everyone operated with this, I'm going to be mindful of the consequences of my behavior. I'm going to take into account other people's needs and I am going to serve them in balance. It's not me, me, me all the time. And it's not you, you, you all the time. There is this lovely golden mean where people feel comfortable speaking their truth and being honest. And we have to stop trying to read between the lines and wonder what they really mean because they never tell us. One of the things that you talk about that I think is interesting is the ripple effect. And that's sort of what we're talking about in a way. Describe what what you mean by that and how it's important. Well, here's you and I both love stories. Here's another of my favorite stories is that I was um, visiting my son in New York once again. And I do have Tom stories. It's just that that uh, we're getting caught up in the living room and his one year old son, Hero, starts crawling across the floor. He hauls himself up on a guitar and a guitar stand and he starts banging on the strings. Now, Andrew could have yelled at him. He could have said, no. He could have said, stop banging on the guitar. He could have yanked it away, all of which would have made Hero feel bad. Do you know what he said instead? One word. Gentle. Sarah, I saw Hero's face transform in front of me. And he reached back to the guitar. He went strong, strong, strong. There were some bells up in the window. He went ring, ring. And he made music because Andrew shaped his behavior instead of shamed it. He coached his performance instead of criticizing it. He will learn from that situation instead of losing face. And my dad used to tell me we can't motivate people to do better by making him feel bad. And the ripple effect of words is because Andrew used one word, gentle, that showed him what he could do instead of what he shouldn't do. He loves music now. That's the ripple effect. (laughs) I love that. And it's also a wonderful ripple example of how our culture tends to train men, particularly, to attack 
mm-hmm. or to be to be strong. So if he had said stop, then the little boy would have learned that that's what you do. That's how you behave. That's how you sound. Yeah. You you've just brought up hopefully one of the enduring benefits of this book. It's how to be a pattern interrupt. Whatever was modeled for us as a human being, we have a choice to do it differently and to do it proactively. So say that people are getting into it and arguing and finger pointing and fault finding. It's like a pattern interrupt is time out (laughs) or wait a minute. So we actually, because if we try to talk over people who are arguing, what will they do? Get louder, right? The voice of reason gets drowned out in the commotion. If we say, time out, and then we say these words, let's not do this. Or we say, this won't help. Blaming each other won't help. Instead, and we help them find solutions instead of fault. It works in the moment, and it works as a model of what we can do when things go wrong. As Elvis said, don't go with them. And it's so important. I mean, one of the things that um, I think, I mean, there's mindfulness is so rampant now, if you can have rampant mindfulness. But one of the um, really important things, a lot of the important things, one of the really important things is stop. Pause. So I don't have to, there are not many situations where I have to react in the second You know, that's really true. It is. Here's another one is that people ask us, uh, you know, can I do something? And we say, well, no, you can't because those words can't because are like a verbal door slamming in someone's face. And often they can replace with, yes, you can as soon as can we get this meeting started? Well, no, we can't. We don't have a quorum yet. We're still waiting. Nope, no, no. Yes, we can start the meeting as soon as we get a quorum. And we're going to, you know, those words, yes, we can as soon as or yes, you can right after a woman told me, she said, Sam, this is going to change the way I parent. She said, it seems like all I ever do is tell my kids, no, no, you can't play with your friends because you haven't finished your homework. And look at the difference when we say, yes, you can play with your friends as soon as you finish your homework. Yes, you can watch TV right after you do your chores. Now, look who's responsible for getting what it is they want instead of blaming us for keeping them for what it is they want. One of the things I did um, a couple of years ago, um, well, it must have been more than that because, well, anyway, uh, was um, do some improv. And one of the things that was so helpful from that was what you say is, yes, and. And that is such an important thing to learn. You know, Sarah, I wrote about this in my Tung Fu book more than 25 years ago. And it's just what you said, that little three letter word, but really is at the core of our cancel culture. Well, I hear what you're saying, but we tried that before. You did a good job on that, but you forgot to do that. Well, I'm sorry that happened, but that word, but as you just said, in improv, it cancels out what went before it or it shuts down what someone's, well, that's a good idea, but well, we do that, but no, when we force ourselves to adopt the yes and it advances conversations instead of anchoring them in an argument and it builds a relationship instead of blocks it. Yep. 
I, I absolutely agree. You know, two of the things I love about your writing, and I I look forward to your LinkedIn posts. Um, you are direct and practical, and you say it the way it is, always. And the second thing I appreciate are the number of quotations you use. I love them. So why do you do that? And do you have a favorite quotation? Well, I do it because what I learned at Maui Writers Conference is that in a world of infobesity, if we want to intrigue, we must succeed. And and quotes are often one line, pithy, profound wisdom in a soundbite. So in short attention span, for example, Pema Schroden says, do not let people pull you into their storm, pull them into your peace. <laughs> She also says, be the sky, not the weather. Now, I attribute it because Pema Schroden said that. I didn't say it. That That's her work. So I, when I quote people, it's a way of me giving credit where credit is doing. They said that pearl of wisdom, not me. I do know it helps. Like if you have a book, you know, on every open page in all of my books, I have white space and I have at least one or two quotes. Because I know if people are flipping through it, you know, is this going to be worth reading? If your eyes fall on a one-liner that gets your eyebrows up, it means you're intrigued. Ah, I hadn't heard that before. Oh, that's funny. Hmm, I've been getting that wrong, right? And so I purposely, um, you asked, do I have favorite quotes? Well, uh, I have hundreds. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Sam. <laughs> so here's one of my favorites, though, because it's in alignment with our conversation today, is that I was very fortunate. In college, uh, I took a philosophy class. And the very first day, the professor said, we're going to study Plato and stop with your own philosophy. That was our first assignment, Sarah, is to come up with a philosophy, 100 words or less. So I worked a whole week on it, and I crafted something, and it's still my philosophy. Decades later, I haven't changed a word since. You know what it is? No. Okay. My purpose is to make a positive difference for as many people as possible while maintaining a happy, healthy life with friends and family. So see, it's both, right? It's making a difference and it's being wealthy in what matters. And that's, you know, the, the people we love who love us. Oh, Sam, that's wonderful. You've known what you're about in the world for so long. So you've done so many important things. And one of the things you're doing apparently is helping people get books written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How are you, what are you doing with that? I didn't know that. Well, that's I. You may know that I helped start and run the Maui Writers Conference for seventeen years. What can was to the film. Uh, I mean, what can is to the film industry. We were to the publishing industry, and I really believe that that many of us have e e e. We have experience, expertise, and epiphanies, and it doesn't do anyone any good just sitting up here. And so if we want to really contribute or Pablo Picasso our life, he said the purpose of life is to find your gifts. The meaning is to give them away. And I think that if we want to contribute and share our gifts, 
We reflect on our life. What is our expertise? What is our experience that's one of a kind or that's different or that might help someone feel not so alone or that they can do this? And what's our epiphanies? And to put that in a quality book and put it out in the world as a pebble in the pond of our legacy. I love it. So so a huge contribution that you've made is the Maui Writers Conference. I'm and and we wrapped up after 17 years, and now I'm associated with the San uh, with the uh, Kauai Writers Conference. And I'll also be doing a program for the San Miguel Writers Conference in September. Wonderful, wonderful. So those are some of the things, Sam. Of all the things you have done in, in your life that are so good and so important, what are the three that are most important to you? Hmm. Well, first, thank you for such a great question. Um, you know, the first is people often say you must be so proud of your sons. And to me, the word proud has some possession in it. And uh, when it comes to parenting, one plus two does not always equals three. So I don't want to say I'm proud of them because I know I played a role. I certainly did not. There were many, many other factors that influenced them. However, I am very grateful for my sons. And so the first thing is, is to be blessed with these two men who are contributing citizens, loving fathers, loving partners, are both doing work that adds value. They're both lit up is really one of the great joys and blessings of my life. So Tom and Andrew is one. Uh, the second is that I'm really clear about wealth and what matters and for example, I'm on a book tour for Talking on Eggshells right now, and the world would tell you that success is about metrics, and the world will tell you, how many books have you sold? Are you on any bestseller list? And they will they will gauge your success by numbers, amount of money or whatever. And I am very clear that when it is all said and done, and when we look back on our life, that is not what's going to matter. And I am wealthy in, Shakespeare said, be wealthy in your friends. I am wealthy in my longtime friends on this book tour. You know, I ran into a boss I had 40 years ago, you know, know, so that's the second thing. And then the third thing is, is that I really feel a privilege to write and speak and coach And on a daily basis, I get to, it's an intellectual Disneyland. I get to work with people who thrill me with what they're doing in the world and to help them get a book out in the world or or come up with a business that gives them an an opportunity to do something that they're really good at that makes a difference. So to write, speak, and coach is the third thing that I'm most uh, grateful for. Oh, that's wonderful, Sam. So what's next? (laughs) What have you got on the horizon that gets you excited? You know, uh, I uh, angels whisper to us when we walk, and I live on the stream trail in Austin, outside of Austin. And um, I really believe that my next project is going to be called Thoreau Your Life, T-H-O-R-E-A-U, Thoreau Your Life, colon, away. And it's going to be uh, 365 meditations on um, that lead to clarity and purpose, presence, and peace of mind. 
And do we have time to tell you a little story about something that? Yes, uh, indeed. Okay. I think you know about uh, several years ago, I gave away 95% of what I owned and took off on my year by the water. And I um, swam with dolphins and I sailed the Chesapeake Bay and I went to Monet's Garden in Giverny and I interviewed people. Are you happy? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And I uh, put all of those adventures and insights and interviews in a book called Someday is Not a Day in the Week. So I was speaking in Boston on this. And in the Q&A, a woman put her hand up and she said, were there any places you missed on your year by the water? I said, yes, I didn't go to Walden Pond. She said, you know, it's an hour away. <laughs> well, Sarah, I had no idea. So I, I practiced everything I learned on the year by the water. We had just talked about, I bet we keep our commitments. To me, it's always, that's, that's how we're trustworthy is we keep our commitments. Well, what I learned on the year by the water in the story called, are you driving into a hurricane? Is that sometimes we keep our commitments and it's not wrong to revisit them and renegotiate them. It's right. So I called the client and said, I have a chance to go to Walden Pond tomorrow. Can we reschedule our appointment for Friday? She said, that works better for me. I get there. This is October in New England. There's a gentleman walking across the parking lot in swim trunks with a towel over his shoulder. And I went over, I said, is it warm enough to swim? He said, it is if you go to the end of the lake, there's a cove there by Thoreau's cabin. And uh, it's not so cold there. Well, I went down. Now, Sarah, this is fall in New England. So the gold and, and orange and red leaves are reflected in the pond. And I knew I was going to walk where Thoreau walked. I knew I was going to write where he wrote. I did not know I had a chance to swim where he swam, but I didn't have a swimsuit. So it's kind of, I'm standing there going, should I, shouldn't I, <laughs> should I, shouldn't I? And finally, I think it was the voice of Thoreau spoke to me and he said, clothes dry, memories don't. <laughs> and I went in. And, you know, I will, I, I might as well be there right now. I remember floating in that water and looking up at that sky and those clouds. And I was so glad. And so why I'm going to write this book is that I think that life is precious and that sometimes days go by and we don't even notice them or we complain or we uh, kvetch or something. And if I could write a book that would help us on a daily basis look around with the awe and the wonder and the appreciation that it deserves, then uh, that would be a joy and a gift. And that's my next. Oh, I love that, Sam. I cannot wait for that book to come out. <laughs> I can't, that's just, that's, I'm, I, you describe that so well that I'm sort of on the pond with you. That's just... <laughs> Oh, this has been fantastic. So we're at our time. Um, but if people would like to get in touch with you, Sam, um, how can they do that? Well, it's easy. They can go to my website, which is samhorn.com, S-A-M-H-O-R-N.com. 
Also, they can, as you said, I love to post on LinkedIn. So if they go to Sam Horn uh, on LinkedIn, you know, I write there about what I experience out on that stream trail or some ideas from Talking on Eggshell or Tung Fu and my other books. So they're welcome to follow up on either my website or my LinkedIn site. Thank you. And do that, listeners, because it will be absolutely worth it. She's fantastic to read, so follow her. And that is our time today. Please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Sam Horn. And don't forget, you can find her at samhorn.com and also on LinkedIn. You will love her posts. So thank you for being with us. Spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to stay updated, you can head over to my website, primesparkwomen.com and get my free spark guide, seven questions to ignite your spark to help you discover your own spark. See you in the next episode.